0: Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: Hello there, my very good friends, and I can already tell this is going to be one of those videos where you creatively call me a paid chill in the comment section because, well... AEW's is in a good place right now, and I know that because they've sold over 60,000 seats for Wembley Stadium for All In in August. That is a ridiculous number for a company holding its first show in Europe, let alone the UK, and a massive, objective success. It goes to show, for all the rating stagnations here and the creative mishaps there, this promotion is still performing very well in the metrics that matter. It is more successful than ever before in those metrics that matter. In fact and uh, sometimes all those mean nasty things that people say online are just that. Mean nasty things that people say online don't have a great deal of substance. This is a company that from day one has been defying the critics and today we're gonna take a look at that. I'm Andy from Woke Culture Wrestling and here are 10 times AEW made the critics look like idiots. Criticism number 10. What is Jeff Jarrett doing here? Being the absolute best? Is what Jeff Jarrett is doing here. Look, Jeff Jarrett is 55 years old and one of the most misunderstood people in pro wrestling history. Um, That was pretty evident when you go back and revisit the reaction to his debut in the company last year. When he showed up as the last outlaw in this kind of on-screen slash behind-the-scenes hybrid role, There there was a lot of cynicism surrounding Mr. Jarrett. And to be fair, He's been involved in some interesting things in the past. Hello, Global Force Gold, etc. However, since coming in, Jared has been nothing but a credit to the company. And he's done a phenomenal job as this kind of on-screen carny in his role kind of scheming his way to title shot after title shot. It's been enriching the mid-card in AEW for ages. The act with Jay Leeple, Sanjay Dutt and Satnam saying is a riot. It's a perfect mid-card heel gimmick type stable thing that you can use to elevate the baby faces on your show over and over and over again. The formula isn't even coming close to wearing thing and Double J so far in AEW has been a complete success. Number 9. Nobody cares about this wrestler. Go back a couple of months ago, do you remember that? Kenny Omega, El Hijo del Vikingo, Tony Khan makes a big announcement about it, calls it a dream match, he builds it up in advance, all that stuff, and then you go on Twitter and you see certain bad faith criticisms, and it's a familiar story. It's, why should I care? I have no idea who Vikingo is. This'll never draw, it'll never work. What is AEW doing? Please, won't somebody think of the casual fan. Well, guess what? That turned out to be absolute pish because not only was Kenny Omega versus Vikingo a match worthy of the dream match tag, but it was also one of the highest drawing dynamite segments of the entire year. But Kenny vs. Vikingo is merely the tip of the iceberg. This happens every single time AEW dares book something cool for its fans involving a wrestler that isn't already in the immediate American mainstream. People did this for Kazuchika Okada, for goodness sake. And yet, when AEW does book people from the immediate American mainstream, the same people who shout, I don't know who this is, suddenly are concerned with the amount of ex-WWE wrestlers that the company is using. It's almost like trolls are pretty stupid. Number eight, AEW will die. How many times have we heard this old chestnut? I mean, it comes out whenever the slightest thing in the universe that could be perceived as negative towards AEW happens. Maybe it's a bit of backstage controversy. Maybe a rating is down by 0.02 or maybe one of these big matches just didn't quite live up to expectations. Doesn't matter how small it is, something like that happens and we get AEW's done. It's over, it'll never, Ever succeed, it's going to fall, everyone's going to lose their jobs, Doomsday is here, AEW is dead. And of course, it was Jim Cornette who, in late 2019, prophesied that by April 2020, AEW would be gone. That narrative has since continued and it remains in the hearts and minds and Twitter fingers of thousands of people around the world. Well, it's no longer April 2020, AW is not only still here, but in May 2023, with Wembley and everything else, it's actually more prosperous than ever before, so maybe we should think twice before posting this nonsense online. Number seven, AEW doesn't tell stories. I think that this criticism, perhaps more than any others on the list, is just a convenient crutch for people to lean on when they don't really have that much of an argument and are trying to find a different way of saying, I don't like AEW. Which, by the way, is absolutely fine. You don't have to like AEW, in fact, I have plenty of my own constructive criticisms to offer the show that kind of annoy me a little bit every single week in between all the good stuff as well. But just be real about it. Don't make up silly nonsense like AEW doesn't tell stories. It's objectively false and when you say a thing like that, all you're doing is telling the people who see this take that you don't watch the show. But, I mean, come on, just look at something like the rise of Hangman Page or MGF versus CM Punk or CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston or MGF versus Brian Danielson or a bunch of other stuff you could list off. Even something that hasn't been so critically acclaimed. Take Ricky Starks versus Chris Jericho or Juice Robinson, for example. These are stories you cannot watch a 15-minute segment of this Show without at least one story being referenced or furthered. They are at the heart of every single thing AEW does. Just because the match and the, the matches are sometimes a little bit too flippy for some audience's taste, or maybe a little bit too bloody, or whatever, doesn't mean that they aren't story driven. If anything, maybe, AEW could do with dialing back on these things, given how common things like promo trains are in the year of our Lord I guess 2023. It's a mad statement. It always has been and it will continue to be that way unless AEW just gets rid of everyone and doesn't even hold matches anymore. I don't know. Number six. These wrestlers will never get over. Orange Cassidy is probably the best example to use here because it continues today and that's mental. Whenever this guy steps out onto the stage, he's getting a monster pop and that level of investment only continues when he gets in the ring and starts working his unique gimmick and style. The sloth thing, the slacker, whatever you want to call it, is hugely over. Listen to the crowds. That's what over means. You don't have to like these wrestlers to admit they're over and you shouldn't let your distaste towards them or the things you don't like about them get in the way of acknowledging that they are. Over. Darby Allin's another good example. He was too small, too weird, and Kenny Omega, well, he'll never work as a top-level star on American television. He's never gonna get over as world champion. There's a bunch of other ones as well, including less obvious figures like Christian Cage, one of the most charismatic American-slash-Canadian wrestlers of all time, who we were told by people who said he was never gonna get over that his first few months in AEW were dry and boring. He headlined a pay-per-view for goodness sake. And despite all these criticisms, what happens invariably when these people come out and do their thing? They get a thunderous reaction. Be it cheers when they're on the babyface side or boos when they're heels. Do you know what that is? Over
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
1: Number five, Chris Jericho is finished. You'd think by now that people would have learned not to bet against pro wrestling's ultimate master of reinvention and call out things like, Ah, the man is done, he's over, he's finished, he's never going to offer anything again. Yeah, despite this happening every single time, every single reinvention, every Le Champion, Painmaker, uh, Jericho Appreciation Society, Inner Circle, whatever, 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 we still get towards the end of a run when a little bit of steam is starting to fade away and he's not quite being as effective as he was, we still get people saying Chris Jericho is finished. And then what does he do invariably? He reinvents himself he gets over again, and he becomes a huge boon to the product all the same. Yes, there are valid criticisms to be made about certain feuds he's had. Ricky Starks, Eddie Kingston, I think these storylines stand out as ones that went on a little bit too long and ultimately did a little bit of harm for the people Jericho was feuding with. Those are fair points, but to call the man finished, How many times does he have to prove that this is a just an untenable take? I don't think this man will ever truly be finished until the day he retires and even then he'll probably still find ways of getting back over. The man is a genius when it comes to crowd manipulation and crowd reactions and all of that stuff and we should probably all stop being a bit silly when he doesn't quite hit the mark at the end of a run. Number four. Hangman Page will never get over. We've already discovered this topic a little bit, but I think Hangman kind of deserves his own entry because he's pretty much AEW's main character at this point. And if AEW ever ends up letting go of Hangman, well, I think it's probably going to feel a little bit like The Office did when Steve Carell left. There'll still be some good stuff, but the peak just won't be there and it won't feel quite as special. As it did before, maybe even just a little bit empty. Hangman Page will never get over has turned out to be a completely preposterous take. This audience loves Hanger, he is over through the roof, sometimes getting more incredible reactions than standard bigger names on the roster. The guy is not quite homegrown obviously, he was in Ring of Honor before and New Japan and a bunch of other great places as well, but he is somebody that AEW has invested in and it has paid off spectacularly. Number three, NXT will beat them in the ratings. I mean, (laughs) one week. They, they they beat them in the ratings literally one week out of like 80. Good one. Number 2. Why are they doing this WWE thing? Look, there's definitely a bunch of diet WWE stuff on AEW television at the moment, we've got some promo trains here, some invisible walls and invisible cameras over there, but if AEW's run so far has taught us anything, the promotion will eventually learn its lesson and move on from them, hopefully never to do them again or at least be a bit more sparing with them. But this is a general talking point that flares back up whenever AEW does something WWE adjacent as well. For example, if AEW books a contract signing, you're going to get a bunch of criticism online going, huh, but that contract signing's going to end originally in someone going through a table. When Hangman Page went off on paternity leave, people were like, oh, well, I guess that's the Kenny Omega match over, not happening. And then when they booked a casket match for Revolution 2023, it was all pfft casket matches are boring. None of these things ended up happening, and in the case of the last one, Christian Cage ended up entering one of the best heel performances of his entire career, and think of the ground that covers. AEW is not WWE, and with a few small exceptions, it's never going to be. And the number one, why are they pushing Satnam Singh? To be fair right, Satnam Singh's debut for AEW in April 2022 wasn't it and I think the criticism was earned. It was a little bit too much, too fast, all of that stuff. The lights out introduction at the end of the show for someone who people legitimately didn't know, not people we pretend to not know, like Kazuchika Okada, was not the right move. And when he appeared on screen, all 70 feet of him towering up in the ring, the perception was AEW was doing a WWE thing, and that they were pushing a green giant for being a green giant, really. But AEW has since proven itself right in the way they push Satnam Singh. In fact, the way they push him is pretty similar to the way they pushed Danhausen. Satnam is a secondary character used sparingly and only ever in the right context, and speaking of context, he's really good in a bunch of different ones. He can be in the ring, just being this giant dude throwing people around and standing there like a brick wall that you can't get past, or he can fart around in the Briscoe farm segment holding chickens and just being really wholesome and fun. The positives are accentuated and the negatives are hidden. That's literally Pro Wrestling Booking 101 and guys... Sat them saying rules, get on the bandwagon right now, or get ran over by it. But, anyway, that's it. We're done here. Uh, that's my list of 10 times AEW made the critics look like idiots. If you've got any more, down in the comments section, let us know. Let's get a conversation going. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications as well. And then you can follow us on Twitter at WWE and myself at Andy H Murray. The H stands for Hey, Bye. I didn't think of that one. See ya.